Hebrews chapter number 12, if you're able to stand, we'll stand in reverence to the reading of the scriptures. And I have one verse on my heart today. It is the shortest verse in this entire uh, chapter, and it is the closing verse. In verse number 29, the Bible says, for our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. I would like to speak to you today by the grace of God for just a moment on that subject matter of the fire of God. Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow before you. I would ask you now that you bless your people. Thank you this morning for the church, for the worship, for the songs, the testimonies. Thank you for our preacher. Thank you for his leadership of the Holy Spirit and sensitivity to the Spirit of God moving in the services. I would ask that you'll continue to bless. May you empower him. May you fill him. May you use him. May you touch him. May you anoint him. May you give him that unction that he so desires in the coming services. And I pray, Father, that you'll be with our people at our church, meet the needs. We thank you for our church. Thank you for those that are here and those that are providentially hindered and can't be here. I would ask you now that you'll continue to answer the needs of every individual that's represented here this morning. Again, we pray as we so often have prayed. If there's one sitting under the sign of our voice who knows not the Lord, may the Spirit of God convict them. May you show them their need of salvation, draw them to repentance, and help them, I pray, to turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. Bless today, I pray. Give thy servant the power, the presence, persuasion of the Holy Spirit, and we'll thank you, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In our text, the scripture simply says, for our God is a consuming fire. Fire is mentioned 506 times throughout the entirety of the Bible. From the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation, we find the fire of God 506 times. 427 times it is referenced in the Old Testament and 79 times in the New Testament. There is much to be said about the fire of God. Some have misrepresented it, misquoted it, and we find that Oftentimes, uh, those of the charismatic persuasion uh, lean strictly on the fire of God being that which I would consider wildfire that has no biblical foundation or biblical text. But as we look at the Bible, the Bible is very clear concerning the fire of God. In fact, the Bible here says God himself is a consuming fire. So there is a fire about God. The Bible said in the book of Revelation, John said when he looked upon him, his eyes were as a flaming fire. When you begin to study the Bible, the first use of the word fire is found in the book of Genesis in chapter number 19 and verse number 24. Even as we preached on the grace of God that covers it all last week, I often refer to the first and last mention of the use of the word in the Bible or the topic in which we're studying. And like the word grace, where God uh, uses the word grace when he is bringing judgment upon humanity, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, so it is with the fire of God. Notice, if you would please, the first mention in Genesis chapter number 19 and verse number 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And where God used grace in the midst of destruction, here we find that God uses the very presence of his essence, the fire of God, to bring brimstone and fire out of heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you read the entirety of the text, there were other villages or cities in the area that God destroyed with them. 
The last use of the word is found in Revelation chapter number 21 and verse number 8 in the closing of the Bible. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, <coughs> pardon me, and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. May I say to you, my friend, this morning, when we study the Bible, the Bible has much to say about the fire of God. As we begin to study the scriptures, we find that there are different manifestations of the fire of God. God will use the fire in order to uh, get God's people's attention, obviously to destroy the wicked, to empower the church, and God uses it in different fashions in the pages in the text of our Bible. The notice, if you would please, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 24, similar to Hebrews in our opening text in Hebrews 12, 29. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Now I want you to know, if you would please, one of the first types I would like to look at this morning concerning the fire of God, and these are not necessarily uh, preached or I'll not give them to you as they are chronologically uh, laid out for us in the scripture and the word of God, but we will look at them <coughs> in relation to today and what I believe God is trying to do with his people and with his church. Now notice in Zechariah in the Old Testament in chapter number 13 and verse number 9, the scripture says here, Zechariah penning the word of God, the Lord speaking to him, and I will bring uh, the third part uh, through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. May I say to you in the context of that scripture, that sin, adultery, idolatry, unrighteousness, there were all types of sin that had crept into Jerusalem. We find that even the priests were uh, false prophets. They prophesied false things. We find the Bible says in, in the scripture, even in verse number seven, uh, the Bible tells us and declares that they were deceptive in their calling. They even had garments that were not likened unto the priests and that office so that they could uh, deceive the people, knowing the judgment uh, that was coming upon them for their false prophecy before the people and, of God and the household of Israel. And so may I say to you this morning, as we consider this text, God is going to use his refining fire in the uh, nation of Israel there in Jerusalem to bring cleansing to his people. And may I say to you that God will use his fire to cleanse his people? It's known in the scripture as the refiner's fire. As we begin to study the scripture, even in Matthew 26 and verse number 31, the Bible said, Then Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. This is prophesied in Zechariah's prophecy and it is referencing to the Lord Jesus himself when he shall be smitten and crucified, beaten and battered of men when I, he shall take upon himself or when he has taken upon himself our stripes and our 
wounds. And there he was beaten and battered and bruised for our iniquities. And here in the New Testament, Jesus himself refers to the, the fire of God as consuming and there bringing judgment upon sin and upon humanity. The Bible tells us in the book of Job in chapter number 23 and verse number 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you know when God puts you and I through the refiner's fire, he has a divine purpose. When God allows troubles and heartaches and sorrows and setbacks and disappointments and all types of things to happen in our life, and we don't understand why. We don't understand how God can get the glory out of these circumstances. We don't understand the omniscience and the omnipresence of God and what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. But my friend, may I assure you and I this morning that when God allows us to go through the refining fire that he's sins in our life. God has a divine purpose and one of those divine purposes is to cleanse you and I of all dross out of our life. Everything in our life that is displeasing and honorable and honorable to the Lord. God desires to cleanse it and purge it from us. I said going into the coronavirus when it first began to take root in America the end of January and the first of February I said to our staff and a group that I was speaking to I said one thing that I believe God is going to do with this virus. God's going to cleanse his people. God's going to refine his church. God's going to purge out the old and bring in the new. God allows a refining fire, the cleansing fire. And part of that is God's purpose and intent is to cause you and I to glorify him, to become more righteous and more holy for his glory and for his honor. In 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto, watch this, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so here the Bible is very defined on the purpose of the fire of God. To try the gold, to purge you and I of all dross and that which is displeasing to the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, after the purging and the cleansing fire, the refiner's fire, I wonder how much we would lose this morning after we've gone through the fire and we've been purged and cleansed. As we look at the text in the scripture, we find that it is a, a manifestation of the fire of God where God is purging his church and God is purging his people and God is trying to bring us to a place of a purification, not to make us perfect, we'll not be perfect until we get home to glory. But God is allowing these things in our life to cause us to purge our life of sins and transgressions of evil thoughts and, and actions and deeds in our life. I, the scripture says that John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but there cometh one after me that is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. May I say to you, in the very next passage of scripture, the Bible said, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. In all verses, even the verse uh, preceding that, we find deals with the fire of God. Amen. We can thank God for the fire tonight. Yes. 
uh, this morning. We often talk about hellfire and brimstone, and it's true, it's Bible. And we talk about the refiner's fire, but sometimes we forget the purpose of the refiner's fire, the cleansing fire. Notice in verse number 10 of the preceding verse. And now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. May I say to you that all three verses in the same way with fire. There was a burning, uh, a refining, a cleansing. That is one of the characteristics of fire. It cleanses, it purges, it purifies. This morning... Part of the fire of God is that cleansing fire, that refining fire. And he uses it to refine us as individuals. He uses it to refine uh, his church. He uses it to refine nations and people groups around the globe. And he's used it in the Bible and continues to use it even to this day. Notice in Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 1. Behold, I'll send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way of the Lord before me. And then he goes on to say, uh, Whom ye seek shall suddenly come unto uh, his temple, even the messenger of thy covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who shall abide in the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like foolish soap. And it shall, and he shall sit as a refiner, and purified of silver, and he shall purify the sun to Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they might offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness they shall uh, then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as the former years God allows very vividly it's described in the scripture God allows the refiner's fire the cleansing fire to come into the life and the circumstances of God's people. He has a divine purpose to purge them that they might bring forth more fruit to the praise and the glory of Almighty God. I've often said this of trials. They'll either make you better or bitter. What is your trials doing this morning? Better or bitter? I was talking to someone the other day who was not saved and not professed to be a Christian. And the world was caving in on them. They were like chicken doodle little. The sky was falling. My friend, it's because they have no hope. And God brings, he makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. And all of a sudden, uh, their life and their world is turned upside down. And they have no hope in this world. No hope in the afterlife. No hope in eternity. Because they do not know God who is a consuming fire. Who purges the sin. Cleanses the saint. And I say to you this morning, thank God for the cleansing fire of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk of the cleansing blood. And I know, thank God for the blood. It cleanses us from all of our sins. But my friend, God uses his fire for that purpose as well. When we study the scriptures, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 6 and 8, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, let me ask you, how are you doing with chastening this morning if the hand of God's upon you? 
If you endure chasing, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? And so he's simply saying, if you belong to God, he allow the chastening hand of God, or the fire of God, the refiner's fire to come into your life. And how are we going to do when we stand before him? You say, preacher, is there any positive on the refining fire of the cleansing of the fire of God in our lives? There's one positive on, on the matter. There's several, but one of them is this. It proves you're a child of God. Notice what he goes on to say in verse uh, number 8. He said, but if you be without chastisement for, for all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. And so what he is simply saying, he's uh, basically summarizing and saying, if you don't have the chastening hand of God, the refiner's fire in your life as a believer, then you're an illegitimate child. You really do not belong to Almighty God. I've met some over the years that's supposed to have been saved for decades. And they live in sin as though it is nothing. There seems to be no conviction. There seems to be no standard. There's no change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And I believe somebody can get saved on their deathbed after living a life of sin and go out to be with the Lord if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and the Holy Spirit of God has convicted them and drawn them to the Savior. I'm not denying that this morning, but I'm wondering this morning and I have questioned a time or two those who profess Christ and live in sin and ungodliness and unrighteousness and uncleanliness and unholiness day after day after day after day year after year after year and decade after decade after decade and there's no refiner's fire in their life and in their heart God's very clear in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 8 Concerning this matter, you see, when troubles and illness come and when trials and heartaches come, the lost man can only stare into the darkness of night. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for the unbeliever. He has nowhere to go. He has no savior. He has no comforter. And he sits in his grief and he sits in his turmoil and he sits in his pain and his agony, hopeless and helpless before God. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. But the child of God, when the trials come and the suffering comes and the refiner's fire comes, he falls in his face before God. When the refiner fire, refiner's fire has cleansed them and purged them and it drives them to their knees and they bow before the God of heaven and there they cry out for help. They have a comforter. They have a hope. They have a future. They see the light at the end of the tunnel. How are you this morning with the refiner's fire, the cleansing fire? May I say to you, my friend, May we draw near unto the Lord and cling unto him. In 1665, the residents of London were dying by the thousands each day. The bubonic plague was spreading from house to house because of the unsanitary conditions. Rats and fleas had spread germs throughout the city and almost 30,000 people had died, almost a third of London's population at that time. The plague was so bad that Experts had estimated that the plague would wipe out the entire population within a short time if they didn't get it under check. Does that sound familiar today? 
But on September the 2nd of 1666, the great fire of London broke out and burned uncontrollably for five days. Most of the structures were built of wood during the medieval times. And there, those wooden structures caught blaze and almost the entire city was reduced to ashes. But when the fire had finally died, the people discovered that the rats and fleas had been killed. The disease had been purged out. The carriers of that disease had been cleansed and burned and there was a, a refining in London. They found that the plague was lifted and people's life was spared. May I say to you, my friend, sometimes God allows the refiner's fire to come. Sometimes it sweeps through and God purges out the old so that he might bring in the new. There is a spirit of excitement to come to church like I've not seen in my 40, almost 42 years of preaching. I've heard testimony after testimony, not only in our church, but at the Rock of Ages and others that I've spoken with who have said, oh, we're so grateful to go into the house of God. And many times I'm afraid we don't know what we have until we lose it. With family and church and friends and our pastor and those that God has placed in our life, my friend, thank God for the refiner's fire this morning. It purges, it cleanses, it draws us nigh unto the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, have you thanked God for the pandemic? You say, preacher, are you serious? What has it done in your heart? Has it not put a longing, a hunger, a thirst for the house of God that we might come and worship again? Has it not caused you and I to examine our hearts and our lives and become burdened for those that are lost without Christ? And then if I may briefly this morning, I'd like to look at a second phase of this fire. I have several. I'll only deal with a couple then there's a consecrating fire. God uses it to consecrate his people. All of us have the persuasion that we give our lives to the Lord and everything thereafter is just a matter of song and dance, so to speak, and everything's going to be peaches and cream and rosy after that. One of the problems with American Christianity, I've been in many third world countries throughout Europe, Asia, and Africa, South and Central America, and I believe one of the great a downfalls of America is the luxury and comfort that we have. Now, don't misunderstand me. I thank God for a nice home, a nice vehicle. I thank God for the luxuries. And I'm not preaching against them. I have them myself. But the luxuries and the comfort of America has caused our heart to grow cold against God. It has caused us to lessen our commitment and our consecration to God. We sit in our comfortable homes, our comfortable churches, our comfortable workplaces, our comfortable circumstances, and we'll do what we can for God as long as it does not inconvenience, inconvenience us one single iota. Book of Revelation, chapter number 3 and verse number 14 through 22. And don't worry, I'm not reading all the text, but it's about the church at Laodicea. They were rich and they themselves gave the testimony, we have need of nothing. 
in the Texas as if they were saying, we have beautiful homes, we have great transportation, wonderful clothes. We've got money in the bank. Everything's good. We're comfortable. We're so comfortable we don't need anything. And the text implies they're saying to God, we don't even need you. I know many of Christians in America that fit the bill. I've met Christians in the pew Missionaries, preachers, deacons, Sunday school teachers, the young in Christ, the old in Christ, who have never undergone the consecrating fire of the Lord to burn within their heart and their soul that they come to the place they're willing to lay on the altar everything they are, everything they ever hoped to be, their life, their present, their future, and lay on the altar before Almighty God. Amen. Some believers will not, some believe will not have a great revival in our day because of God's people in the Laodicean age. But I say to you today, I believe we can have revival. I believe if we would come to the place of, of allowing God to consume and refine us and when we have been refined, we come to God and lay ourselves on the altar and say to God, God, I may not be much, I may not have much, but what I am and what I have, I lay it on the altar this morning before God. I believe we could have revival. The affluence and luxury and history has never brought an outpouring of the Spirit of God. If you study history in America and around the globe, those who have been comfortable, look at your Bible with Israel, God's people. When God blessed them, there was that revolving cycle in the Old Testament. They didn't need God, and they'd turn from God, and God would bring judgment upon them, and he'd use other nations to bring judgment, and they'd go into, uh, for example, Babylonian captivity and, and other nations, and then they, in that, uh, they would repent and get right with God, and God would give them back their freedom, and there was that endless revolving cycle in the Old Testament. My friend, it's still true today to God's people. Affluence and luxury has never produced revival in the history of humanity. But I'll tell you what has. Suffering, Amen. heartaches, right. sorrows, heartbreak. When God allows things to break us and crush us and, and to remake us and to remold us, may I say to you that we need to understand that God uses a fire to purge us and cleanse us and then it draws us to consecration. May I say to you, my friend, that Paul underwent that. I thought about William Carey going to India. And I'll close with this thought. William Carey went to India. And while he was there, there would be people that would, of course, when they die, they would take them and burn their bodies. And there in India in that time, if a young man died, they would take his body and cremate it and burn it. But if he was married, his young wife would also be burned alive. And William Carey said, I heard 
Night after night after night after night after night. The cries and the wails of the people of India and the young widows wailing. And while India was trying to purge the land of disease and other things, it, God used it in William Carey's life to cause them to become more consecrated, more holy, and more righteous unto God. And night after night after night, he lay there and heard the cries of these widows and heard the cries and the wailing of the families. And night after night, he recommitted his life to God time and time again. And look at the life of William Carey, the father of modern missions. God used him in a great way. Only him and a handful, five or six, I forget, of missionaries had surrendered to go initially and an offering was taken of only the meager amount of $60 and even in that day, that was not extravagant. And there they went to India. The fires of consecration. I'll not take the time to go through Elijah in the Old Testament this morning. He would be our biblical example. Let me ask you this morning, what is God trying to do in your life and in your heart? With the refiner's fire. Are you more consecrated today than you were last month, last year, yesterday? Our God is a consuming fire. What is it God's trying to purge out of your life, your heart, your conscience? And what are you restraining to give? Our fathers, we bow before you. Much could be said on the fire of God, but I'm so grateful for the refiner's fire that you don't allow us to get by with sin. You purge us, you cleanse us, and draw us to a life of consecration. Thank you that you use the fire in such fashion in the scriptures. I pray this morning there's one here that needs to rededicate themselves to you and need to totally consecrate their life. God, please help the burdens and circumstances of life not to cause them to turn away, as did Judas, but help them to turn thee to thee. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Is your life consecrated to the Lord? What's God trying to do through his fire in your life? Preachers, you come take the invitation.